Welcome to the first ever episode of the Grizzden Pod. My name's Will Walker. We're at my dining room table building this thing from the ground up. Uh, as we get started, I'm going to introduce uh, the other two guys at the table, the other two hosts of this podcast. To my right is Brantley Davidson, and sitting across from me is Ty Smith. I'm going to let those guys introduce themselves, and then as a general introduction to you all, our audience, we're going to talk to you about our first Grizzlies memory uh, as a fan. So, uh, Brantley, let's start with you. Yeah, it's good to be here. This is fun. I feel like, uh, you know, we've thought about even how the Slack channel got started, which is sort of how a podcast morphed into this. Um, over time, we quickly realized it's like, you know, one of the things that we had missed was maybe just true fans unrelated to the organization just being able to talk objectively about the Grizzlies and what we thought. So um, I'm excited to be here. My first memory, I didn't grow up in Memphis, um, actually came to the Pyramid as a fifth grader, fifth or sixth grader, and watched uh, um, the Grizzlies take on the Lakers. We got demolished. I was sitting at the very top row of the Pyramid and like fell over basically because it was <laughs> in the top of the rafters. But the other the, – the memory that I remember coming to at FedEx Forum actually was in college. And, uh, you know, there's like the FedEx delivery of the night thing, the, the little parachute T-shirt that's been coming down, I guess, you know, since, you know, the mid-2000s. And uh, the T-shirt's coming down, and I catch it. And some dude had, like, walked behind me and was trying to steal it from thin air. And, like, he grabbed the parachute, and I got the T-shirt. And we sort of had this, like, stare-off moment. And he walked off, and I got the T-shirt. So I don't remember anything about the game that night, but here I am. You got that T, man. Got that T. Got that T. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay, Uh, I'm Ty. Um, Also, didn't grow up in Memphis, Um, but yeah, became a a huge Grizz fan, I guess, in college. Um, Oddly enough, I think it was 2010. We drafted Xavier Henry. And a buddy of mine who's a Grizz fan was like, dude, you got to become a Grizz fan. And I was like, hey, I kind of like Xavier Henry. He was a turn out to be an awesome pick. Really excited about that one. Um, so, overall first Grizz, actually the first game I ever went to was a 2011 game six against the Spurs. Not a bad first game. When Zebo, yeah, Zebo had it, I think it was on like the opposite block of me. I think it was the, I guess if you're looking at the basket, the right block maybe. Um, and there seemed to be like 12 straight possessions where the dude, I mean, he had to throw it to the hand. He would just lay it out there. And Duncan and RIP Tiago Splitter, NBA <laughs> careers over, <laughs> couldn't do a thing about it. And it was awesome. Zebo just went nuts. And I fell in love with Zebo, fell in love with the Grizz. Uh, it was awesome. So, yeah, to be the first game to go to, it's hard not to just become a huge Grizz believer after that. It'd be amazing to know how many people are Grizzlies fans because of that series. Like maybe that weren't beforehand and yeah. stuck around to now. That's we need an analyst to maybe research that project. But I mean, you know, I love the Grizzlies a little bit beforehand, but that series has definitely made me fall. That was the and, one. I mean, yeah, yeah. It was hard not to. Oddly enough, I like watched that game on YouTube not too long ago, literally like last weekend. I gotta rewatch it. And Antonio McDice, <laughs> y'all remember him, played huge minutes for the Spurs. And I'm like, basketball has come a long way from that. I don't remember that. 
Yeah. That's crazy. Wait, was crazy. Splitter on that team? He was, right? Yeah, he was. He was. And, uh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Gary Neal also played big minutes for them in that the series. little point guard? He was like a shooting guard, point guard combo okay. guy. But, yeah, that's super Gary cool. Neal. Yeah, I grew up in Memphis, um, and I kind of have a vague memory of going to the Forum during the first season in 2001. Uh, I remember Jason Williams was like instantly my favorite player mm. on the Grizzlies. But the true kind of fandom for me started when actually I had a friend whose dad rode on a plane with Mike Miller's wife. And this was around February. And he told Mike Miller's wife that his son was, you know, turning like 10 or 11, I think. And she was like, oh, yeah, like I can totally get you tickets, uh, like backstage sort of passes type deal. And so. I went to his birthday party at the FedEx Forum, which what? was like brand new, and we That's saw awesome. the game. Uh, Miller actually missed. I still remember missing him missing a layup barely to beat the Mavericks. And then we had these little passes that we could come back, and we got T-shirts and stuff, and we got some autographs, and Dirk came out and signed all of our no uh, T-shirts. And he was like this huge deal, and we weren't really able to comprehend how big he was at the time since we were in like third or fourth grade. But yeah, it was super cool. From then on, I was like diehard. That's awesome. And then we that got really awesome. bad for like yeah. four years, so it was really hard to uh, to stay positive about the Grizz. But now, uh, now we're in a good spot, which is a good segue into our first segment of the night, which is called Status Report, for lack of a better term, which we're going to sort of review where we are in the season and some of the top storylines. And so right now, this is uh, December 15th when we're recording uh, the record is 9-17. and 17. We are 13th in the Western Conference, 23rd in the NBA as a whole, which uh, we can talk about where that is right now in relation to expectations because yeah, I would good. say it's pretty high. We're too good. Um, and I added just some fun. We can keep track of this since we're not expecting necessarily to be a, a contenders. Where we are in the Tankathon rankings, so right now we are projected to have the seventh pick, mm. which means we would no. convey – to Boston, since that pick is top six protected. And I'd actually forgotten, also, we have the Jazz's first-round pick this year, but that pick has to fall between 8 and 14. And right now the Jazz are in the in the bottom half, therefore that pick would roll over into the next year and the next year and the next year, depending on how their record falls. So that's where we are. Um, yeah, what are thoughts about where we stand right now? I think one of the things that when you look at where we stand right now, I guess it's a blessing and a curse a little bit is that we're only a few games back maybe in actual playoff contention. So it's like, it's interesting when you think about it from maybe where, you know, what's happened and really the impact of what getting a star player like John Morant with, you know, I would would say Brandon Clark is a star, but he's, an unbelievable player and role player that, you know, has um, an overall kind of like lift to the team above everyone. And so um, I think that I would not have thought that we would be that at this place, I guess a quarter of the way through where we're like, where we could think about playoff contention. I don't want us to even think about playoff contention. Me either. So that has – obviously a lot of implication for what we could do at the trade deadline. So right now the Suns are in the eighth seed. They're 11 and a half games back from the top. 
we're the 13th seed and we're 14 games back. So two and a half games separate us and the eight seed right now, which is pretty crazy. So to think about this team, a healthy Grizz next gen hosting an, a playoff series against the Clips. Oh, man. What is that? Does that give you goosebumps, maybe? I mean, it sounds amazing. At the same time, it would it has a lot of implications to the future of the team. I don't want it to happen. Yeah, me either. I think for me, if we are going to convey, I would rather us like not even be close to the line. So if you told me right now we are not going to convey where you want to finish, I'd say go for the playoffs. Yeah. Why not? But if we're we have a very I still think a pretty good chance of keeping the pick if things go as expected. Therefore, that wouldn't be like even near the top of uh, my priority list or excitement. Yeah, currently. yeah, mine either. I uh, we've won too many games already. <laughs> we should we should lose ten in a row. I think I said this earlier in Slack that my goal is for us to go five hundred at home and basically lose like every game on the road, um, but all of them to be within like five points. Um, Did you say earlier? Uh, we were not on the pod, but earlier in our conversation that we were we were on pace for twenty seven. Right, I now. think so. As right? of yesterday, yeah. Which we had obviously we won an extra game. Yeah. Um. So I haven't calculated since then. Which that's what right. Was our over under? It was like twenty six and a half. Yeah, yeah. Or so. Yep. Yeah. Um. Which yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of teams. Like we're yeah two games back, right? But a lot of teams are like Portland is like right there. Like they should, I mean, everyone predicted them to be much better. Sacramento hasn't been great. Phoenix is better than what people realize, but yeah, I think it's going to even out. I could see us. Yeah. Losing five in a row and someone else kind of going on a five Oh win streak. And then we're kind of back towards, I guess we're technically still at the bottom and new Orleans is another one. Like people had new Orleans. A lot of people had new Orleans in like the eight seed. And they are – I don't even know how they're losing because I feel like they should be good. I took them in our wins pool and just yeah, – it's been disappointing. Yeah. Well for you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think it's – you know, obviously the story of Zion not playing is having a huge impact to them, you know. But I do think that it's like with all the talent that they acquired, most people would have expected them to have done better. And Definitely. it's sort of fascinating to see them just struggle as significantly as they are. Uh, so – I don't know. I think that I think the Grizzlies, um, when we reached kind of like the trade deadline, um, part of the season, and I think there's just a ton of contracts that we have that could be in assistance. I guess you would say to for teams sure. trying to compete um, against the two LA teams uh, will enter us quickly into that kind of tankathon realm, and if we you know maybe start to get more strategic with how we sit our um, next gen athletes and see what we've got maybe um, from a role-player perspective that could maybe help alleviate um, our concerns that we won't be uh, top-tier when it comes to, like, the whole tank thing. Yeah, but I do think it's important to win games. Like, on the road, we won those last two recently before the, the home stretch started. Um, I mean, we were neck-and-neck neck with Giannis and the Bucks, and Jaron just – I don't even think he remembers the third quarter. He was unconscious. Um, I think it's important to have those moments. And Ja, like, the dunk against the Suns, yes, it was like a stupid dunk, but one of the best things about it is it was like a tight game with, like, a few minutes left. Like, it was crunch time, and the dude, like, sized up Baines and just, I don't know. I think it's important to have those moments uh, where kind of we, like, 
close games. I love close games. I think our team needs close games. And even last night, you could tell like we were we were killing them, but like Jenkins was still going nuts on the sidelines. Like the dude was coaching his his ass off. Yeah, and it was awesome to watch. Yeah, the winning attitude thing is 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 important. Totally. And, you know, to your whole five hundred at home thing, uh, which is fascinating. We're currently four and eleven um, at home versus five and six on the road. So a wow. lot of our losses has actually come at home. We've played you know fifteen games at home, eleven games on the road. You would think that eventually with this team that would start to you know, kind of maybe merge a little bit closer to the center where we're not losing as many games at home. But, I don't know, without digging into it, I'm not really sure exactly why that's happening. Yeah, and and I think that as far as, like, season storylines go, I think definitely the top one would be that we have uh, the makings of a core three in Ja, Jaron, and Brandon Clark. Because uh, right now, Ja um, is averaging 18.7 points, about three rebounds and six assists a game, a steal and a half a game. Uh, Brandon Clark shooting 65% from two, 52% from three. And uh, Jaron, who had his struggles early on, and we can talk about if we want, in the last uh, game or two has proven that um, he's going to be fine, I think we'd all say. <laughs> totally. Um, so just to have those three um, locked in, young, on really good contracts right now is super exciting. Yeah, and another thing, so another storyline from the beginning of the season was how, like, Ja would have a good game and Jaron would not, and then it would, like, vice versa, like mm -hmm. every other game it seemed like. In the last, like, week or so, I feel like they've, honestly, all three of them have had, like, when they've all played together, have had good games and, like, looked more like a tandem, I guess, especially John and Jaron. I think it was Jaron's realizing, like, man, I think my biggest threat may be, like, the three-point shot. So the pick and pop has been working because he doesn't, like, roll very quick. He's like, I don't know, he's a slow roller. I don't know what it is, but he doesn't like have a burst when he's rolling to the rim. And he's not like a lob threat necessarily. So I think his he and Ja are starting to figure out like the pick and roll is turning into more of a pick and pop. And another one of Jaron's biggest assets is like taking people off the dribble. Um, so I think just them two using that kind of at the top of the key has looked better. And then Brandon Clark obviously is a rolling machine. Yeah, it's hard to obviously measure maybe things like confidence or – aggressiveness but there definitely seems to be maybe in the sample size of the past seven to ten games where Jaron has had a different mentality and approach to every time he's caught the ball for sure in triple threat at the top of the key he's look he's I think trying to perform maybe as a true second threat um, if assuming that Jaws our first threat and because of that I think it's looked like him getting super aggressive, going to the basket, you know, getting some foul calls, using – and what I've appreciated seeing him is actually going to the right more. Um, I think even last night against the Wizards, there were a couple of times where he caught it at the top of the key, um, and I can't remember who was guarding him. But he, like we know, he used that unicorn ability and easily crossed over, went to the right, finished, or got an easy, you know, foul call, hit his free throws – and that's what we, if you want from him as a second threat and someone who's going to be that pillar on your team in the future, that's what he has to have and develop right now. And I think we're starting to see some fruits of that, which is, you know, really promising. And, yep. You know, from an, you know, a stock perspective, like I'm holding on to it all and maybe even buying some more. Yeah, and uh, with that said, there, there, there are still – 
the biggest concern with this game right now, Jaron's game is still are still fouls. Um, so right now he's he's number one in the league in fouls per game at four point two. Um, fun fact: at risk of stepping on a segment we have coming up here, can you guess who else? Which other Grizzlies in the top six? In fouls. In fouls per game. Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks DB. at three point eight. There it is. Ty's favorite player. That's because his feet are so quick. That's right. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, so the fouls are are still a concern. I feel like um, one of our fellow slack mates, Taylor Reed. I was talking to him um, at a recent Christmas party, and he was he was saying that uh, one of the things that that he's nervous about with this season is that um, refs tend to call fouls um, in a small part based on like a narrative and what they they expect. And so if the narrative becomes Jaron Jackson Jr. fouls a lot they're naturally like just from a human perspective going to call more fouls. And so he's, his thing was let's just like not talk about that as much as we can, which we're kind of being hypocritical, but that I think that that would be um, my main concern, I guess you could say is are still the fouling. It's yeah, just so tough. Maybe this is the last time we ever talk about it, I guess, if that's the like strategy. <laughs> yeah. I'm all in on, if that helps change it. I'm a John fan. Hollinger. I don't know if you, you guys saw this. I think it was this week, uh, you know, former, uh, GM-ish uh, within the Grizzlies uh, tweeted that, you know, one thing he's not missing about GM life is the ridiculous calls that are called on Jaron Jackson Jr. Yep. So I think that's one of those things that if Jaron continues to progress and it eventually flips the narrative, whether it's talking about it and maybe it's something that the Grizzlies from a PR perspective need to really think about and push for him. I'm um, starting to turn into, you know, that kind of, um, you know, defensive player of the year type candidate, um, then uh, refs will start to notice it and see. Because there's there was a couple of fouls last night even that ch- could have gone both ways. And the difference in him averaging maybe 27 or, you know, t- between 25 and 27 a game um, is really those foul calls and his ability to feel confident that he's going to get those um, kind of – you know, subjective-based calls that he that he needs based on whatever um, his abilities are. Yeah. Any other any other storylines before uh, we move on to our uh, our segments? Anything else stuck out to you about the season so far? The fact that Brandon Clark is shooting fifty-two percent from three. Yeah. And he's still he's taking insane. a couple of games. Yeah. Yeah. And they look great. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I've looked up his stat. Of course, I don't remember it. But his, like, standstill, spot-up, three-point shot percentage is, like, really good. Um, Essentially because that's all he does, right? So, like, his – I don't know. I feel like he knows his game. He knows his shot. And it's not like he's just standing in the corners. Like, last night he hit one from the top of the key. Uh, The fact that his, like, mid-game is amazing. Like, if Jaron could develop that little, like – right underneath the free throw line because Jaron always tries to get all the way to the cup which is I mean he's 6'11 his wingspan's through the roof like I understand it um but yeah I just can't get over it because everyone talked about BC's shot and how like he they don't know if it's going to translate he had the highest shooting percentage in college last year but he didn't really take threes and then summer league you could see it and everyone's like wow he's got a decent shot and then he's just like it's unbelievable i can't get over it it translates so well yeah. to the nba his game it's unbelievable yeah he changed his shot it feels like overnight man the san happened. jose state clip of his shot yeah it's rough lord have mercy <laughs> if you take off your homer hats redrafting this past year assuming zion is still incredible and and jaws too 
Where is Brandon Fall? Man, uh, he's 23, right? Yeah, he's 23. He's so definitely top 10. I, I think it's just so a matter too. of where in the top 10. Right. Cause are, you taking, are you taking Tyler Harrow over him? Yeah. I think so. Depends on team need for me. I think I think Harrow could, like, yeah, he could lead the lead. He could be the next Kyle Korver. Okay, yeah. you're, taking, you're taking RJ over him. Ooh, I don't know. It depends on where I am again. I think, like, if I – if I'm in a Warriors position where I'm like just have a few guys hurt and tanked or just lost a bunch of games, like maybe not. Um, maybe I would take Brandon Clark since he's more of, I guess you could say, a quote unquote complimentary piece. But right. I don't know. It's tough. I mean, to me, he's probably number five. I like right that. in there. So just the fact that from a storyline perspective, we can say that the Grizzlies reframed their historical draft yes uh you know losses to say it that way to where they stepped up jumped okc and took brandon clark 22nd or 23rd i can't remember which one it is and he's performing like a third pillar fourth pillar strong option, definitely future player is awesome it's the huge. fact that we got that out of this draft uh is such a strong storyline and it, it's what makes it you, when you watch the team and you have Ja, Jaron and Brandon together, you know, the energy that's injected into the franchise just changed night and day. <clears throat> Not to say there wasn't energy last year with, with Jaron, but there'd be games you turn on and he'd get in foul trouble. And then all of a sudden it's like, eh, I don't really want to pay attention that much anymore. Right. Now you still can watch, you know, at least one of the three, maybe two of the three, depending on what happens. Yeah. And I, Fully taking the Homer hat off, I think the argument, only argument I would have against uh, BC being in the top five or so would be his age, um, because you could still say that like um, in the three years, R.J. Barrett will still be younger than Brandon Clark was when he got drafted this year. Yeah. And so like people will say you should know, you know, you should measure it, you know, R.J. in three years versus Brandon Clark, and that should be the the measurement yeah. uh, variable, but. At the end of the day, I think Brandon Clark could uh, – he has the potential to, to change the narrative on some some guys in the future coming out of college who are older. Uh, people will point to him and say, well, look what look what he did for the Grizzlies in such a short amount of time. So I bet a lot of uh, seniors in college are probably thanking Brandon Clark right now. Yeah, uh, for sure. And if you look at, like, so the age thing, I get that for sure. But Jaron just turned 20, and so did Ja. So they're, like, absolute kids. So – it almost makes a little bit of sense that BC has some age under him, and he's, like, already good. Like, he already has a good game. So, if you look at, like, RJ, yes, but everyone's like, oh, he could be. Kobe White's another one. Kobe White can have 25 and then two on, like, one of 11 shooting. Like, they don't – no one knows what he is yet, and you just keep – like, Jackson Hayes is another one. He could be another Willie Cauley-Stein for all we know. Like, we have no idea. So, if you just keep look like Cam Reddish, Rui last night, played against the other, Cam Johnson – P.J. Washington's really good. I like him. Um, Darius Garland. Like, would you – if Cleveland had a redraft – I know. Like, if Cleveland had a redraft, you not think they're taking B.C.? I don't know. It's just – and this is just the top ten-ish. So, I get the age thing, but also if you look at, like, who he drafted, job being 20. And Jaron also – I mean, he was the youngest guy in the league last year, right? Or one of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still the youngest Um, guy on the Grizzlies. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's insane. So – I get the age thing, but, yeah, when you have BC there that fits, and that was why everyone gave us such a high grade 
from the draft and just everything this summer is because when you look at those three players, they're all under 23. Think about it that way. And they all look like they're going to fit like phenomenally well. Yeah. So, and in five years, John Jones are 25 and he's 28. Like that's, that's still really young. Yeah. And I guess the final storyline that I would bring up before we move on to our segments are um, just the, the confidence and the competency of the front office um, compared to past years, because it's been really hard to be excited about um, like a trade season we're about to come upon right now, um, given that we had Chris Wallace in the front office um, and the other decision makers around him. But now, I mean, even in the short, I guess, six-month period of time that this front office has had, they've already proven that they pay attention to every single detail, and they I don't think they've made a stupid move yet or one that's even, like, close to stupid. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the way they've handled the Iguodala situation, for instance, even from, like, a back-end, low-key PR perspective where they just, like, you've started to hear even – journalists on national podcasts or whatever it is where you listen to NBA stuff. So I just say like, yeah, we know the Grizzlies aren't going to trade uh, Andrew Iguodala for maybe they're hoping for less than a first round pick. Right. So we're not buying him out. And I think in the past, there's a really high probability that he would have been bought out already. And we just would have cut the deal probably would have never happened. Actually. That's, That's true. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. would have never happened. They would have, they would have still been seeing like, man, how can we get that seven seed? Yep. Like, it's like we were destined to get the last, like, three or four years. It's like, what can we do to get the seven seed? Just what can we do? And yeah. now we're definitely – this is the first time we've ever been future-focused. Yeah, so lots to be excited about. Um, some things also, I guess, to be nervous about if we keep winning at this clip. But uh, with that said, we're going to move on to our uh, to some segments we have planned uh, for the pod. And uh, I'll pause here to take a quick break for a sponsor. The Grizzden Podcast is brought to you by, well, ourselves, but it could be you. Slide into our DMs for more information. All right, we're back. Uh, the first segment uh, we're going to do here, uh, we have aptly named Bluff City Claw. Um, pun. So basically <laughs> what we're going to do here is, uh, since there's three of us at the table, um, one of us is going to basically present a take or a case. Um, they'll be acting as the uh, quote-unquote prosecution here, and we're also going to have another one of us at the table who uh, may um, disagree with that take, and they're going to be acting as the defense. Uh, the prosecution will make their case. We'll have the defense present a re rebuttal, and the third um, person will act as the judge and we're actually going to do something a little different. We're going we're gonna to post uh, both sides of whatever take we're going to present um, in our Slack channel and also on the uh, Twitter feed. Follow us. We'll give you that, uh, we'll give you that handle out at the end. Um, and uh, so for this very first ever case on the Grizz Den pod, we'll have Ty Smith, who will be acting as the prosecution, and Brantley Davidson, who will be the defense. Ty what is your take? All right, so here's my take. Is Dylan Brooks a long-term fit, the long-term fit, as the starting two guard next to the core three, as we can now, I guess, confirm and call it? So that's my big take. Um, the reasons against it is I've never seen him pass. I'm just kidding. He passes a few times. Um, 
But if you look at this roster, so Ja, definitely a playmaker, for sure. Jaron, definitely a playmaker, for sure. Jonas doesn't pass, and that's fine. Jay Crowder doesn't pass. If you look at our bench, Tyus Jones, I know he led the league, broke the record for assists to turnover ratio, but he's usually playing with the bench guys, which is fine. I feel like the main thing we need in the starting lineup is a playmaker, and I feel like he's not a playmaker. Um, and so he you're, also you're saying basically Bryant. you're arguing no, he's not the long-term Yeah, I'm arguing fit. no. I think he's not as this role that he has now. If he's a sixth, seventh man down the road, totally. Completely get it. Come off the bench. See if he catches fire. Keep shooting it. That's great. But as a starter, long-term fit, I say no. Prosecution rests. Defense. I will say, in our first podcast, you did sort of change the take a little bit up on me. Uh, I that's did. fine. I did. Because throwing in the qualifier of starter in there is definitely a mm. curveball. Uh, i never really been able to hit the curve <laughs> uh, very well. Uh, but, you know, I'll, be, I'll try to be quick on my feet. I, uh, in one sense, I do agree with you. I, I don't think that at least um, – when you look at Dylan Brooks and his performance as a uh, starting two guard alongside of this current team, uh, it, it does not seem to be <clears throat> maybe the perfect fit. And so I do think that he is in the wrong role. However, I don't think that he should be traded. And, and let me maybe at least go through first and just talk through just at least maybe – helping to describe why he's in the wrong role. So if you look across the league, and I looked at this, you know, per basketball reference and was just trying to look at, you know, sort of across every team, who are the third options? I think we can all can agree that right now, Dylan is our, our third option. Uh, he's leading uh, from a third option perspective. He has the third most attempts um, from a two point and three point perspective. Um, and, but when you look, when you compare that across the league for some players who are also in that third option, you quickly come to the realization that you don't want Dylan to be that person. Definitely. So other third options, right? So when you look at like contenders, you've got Lou Williams, you've got now Carmelo, who's kind of on a per game basis have already clearly stepped into being Portland's third option. Jalen Brown is Boston's Sabonis, Indiana's. Kelly Oubre is Phoenix's. Uh, there could be some drama within that discussion. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Kyle Lowry fits the bill for Toronto. RJ is the Knicks's. Derek Rose, I could go on and on and on um, and looking at that. Um, so just from a gut reaction perspective, you don't want Dylan in that role, I think, as your clear third option moving forward. However, I do think the, there's enough for us to maybe move into a couple of points later into why we he should be retained, especially for on a right um, contract perspective and moving forward if they're not able to overpay for him. Based on the improvement that you've seen from him um, really over the in comparing this season to last season or two seasons ago, because last season he was basically – he didn't play at all. Um, I was whenever I was really digging into this and prepping for this discussion, 
it was sort of fascinating to see how many minutes he played last season. He, you know, was injured and, and didn't play a lot at all. So this is basically his second season. So um, I've got some stuff to talk about there. But in a sense, I'm sort of in agreement with you that he's not – he's your third option. He's being forced into a role that I don't think is the best fit for him. And I think that's maybe why a lot of us as Grizzlies fans get really frustrated because – he doesn't need to be your third option. He doesn't need to maybe be averaging this many attempts um, from a two-point and three-point perspective. However, I do think the way he's improved his scoring compared to his rookie season should be something that should be looked at as for a reason why he should be retained. I agree. I get that. But when you said he's he's been forced into this role, I don't think – I think he loves it. I think that's his problem. Not that he does; he loves it, but the guy thinks he's the best player on the floor, and you can see that in shot selection. He takes more pull-up shots than anybody else on the team at five a game, and when the—I mean, I've seen so many pull-up twenty-footers with eighteen seconds left on the shot clock, and when he gets in the game, I feel like he thinks like, "Give me the ball and get out of the way." I've but seen how many it a time. Has he gotten pulled after those shots? Maybe more than I've realized, because I honestly haven't realized taken the time. Out of the game? Yeah, I don't think he's ever been taken out of the game for that. And I know that's part of Jenkins' system is is let it fly. I get that, but so that's what I'm saying is that I think that if if the team was wanting him to perform in a different role, then maybe he could succeed in a way that would pass some of our intuition checks. But I, I legitimately think. I mean, so there's this stat that's floating floating around right now that what's the Grizz's record when Dylan has averaged more than 20 points? It's good. 7-0. and Yeah. Okay. So the rest of our losses when Dylan has had 15 and below is when we've lost. Now, you can make the argument, well, he's shooting too much and he's off that night until we suck. I would argue that we don't have a true third option right now. And so he's being thrust in that position. Who who would you rather be the third option on our team? No, I get, yeah, that's a good point. Um, as far as him being thrust into it, because we don't have anyone else at the moment. But a part of it, I think, is his mentality towards it. I really think that he's locked into this idea that he is like a the guy, not just a guy, like the guy. And I could be wrong. But every year he's played, so his rookie year, we were abysmal, right? We had all those injuries. We won 22 games. But the dude was like the guy, and he fed off of that. And then we promoted him the next summer. He was in all the promos. He was doing all this kind of stuff. And then he comes in this year, and I know he's third in attempts, which is good. Um, But, yeah, I just feel like he's not able to take a lesser role. But I could be wrong because he hasn't shown – we haven't put that him in that position either. Um, but as far as a long-term fit, I would definitely trade him for sure. If something came along, like if, if Denver called, we'll get to trade stuff later, but if Denver called and was like, we want Iggy and we also want Dylan Brooks. And if we threw in Malik Beasley in a heartbeat, I did in a heartbeat and Dylan's stats are better than Malik Beasley's. But I think the game that Beasley has compared to Dylan's within our offense is better. But to even argue against myself, catch and shoot threes this year, Dylan shooting 39%, which is really good. Like, that's a good percentage. But it's everything else that he does. There's wacky pull-ups. He's also shooting awful from two-point. It is, let's see here, 
Oh, where were we? Oh, yeah. He's he's ranked 126th of 138 players in the league in two point percentage, which is not very good. I feel like he takes, he tries to get to the hoop and he's not quick enough to beat his guys off the dribble. So he either throws out these weird looking like runners off the wrong foot or tries some step back from, yeah, 18 feet that's not going in. If the dude knew his role and was a catch-and-shoot guy and either tried to get to the hoop and then make a play, again, going back to the fact that he's not a playmaker, the dude does not assist. He has two a game as a starting shooting guard and playing as many minutes and as involved in the offense as he is. I feel like that's not enough. So my thing is, I guess you're right. If long-term fit as a bench guy, I could agree with that. But that has a – he has to kind of accept that role to be successful in it. And I don't know if he has the mentality to do that. And I could be wrong, but that's my, that's my thought. So I've got two, two points just to sort of uh, – I appreciate you agreeing with me. I do. I um, do. On his role changing. That hopefully will help my, the votes that happen maybe. <laughs> um, so if you throw out nine, the last year and just compare uh, this year to his first season um, – Dylan Brooks, he's basically on a percentage basis. Um, he's increased his attempts, not surprisingly, um, and he's improved uh, the points per game that he's averaging by around 40%. Um, and uh, the one interesting nu- nugget to me as a Grizzlies fan is that he's basically increased his um, three-point attempts per game by close to 60% and kept – the percentage flat, improving it by around 3%. So what that says to me, as a shooting threat, and he's, if you're watching the games, he's shooting a lot of shots, he's shooting a lot of catch and shoot, but he's also um, doing a lot off the dribble as well. Um, tougher shots, because he's at he's the third option, and sometimes he's kind of catching the ball late in the shot clock and kind of being forced into a lot of maybe last minute buckets, or maybe he's holding on to it too long to help your case. but. What this says to me is that he's able to increase his volume and he's really improved his shot over time. So that's a scoring perspective. And the second thing is that he is routinely drawn on a defensive perspective, the other team's best offensive threat. And um, it's really tough to measure this with with stats. Um, I think he does a pretty decent job. I think that's why he averages a lot of fouls. Last night he drew – Bradley Beal, and even though Beal still had, you know, I think a 20-plus game, every attempt that For Beal sure. was making was contested and was hard, and it was a tough, tough out. And so um, I think there's a lot of, lot to be said for the fact that Dylan fits, I think, kind of like the Grizzlies' DNA while also being a true three-point threat. And I don't want to give up that type of player lightly. I've seen too many times where we've tried to get a two-guard, want them to be a good defensive player, and stand in the corner and be able to hit a three. We don't know who we're going to get in this draft. What if we get an incredible wing three and D type player who is the true third option? I want to give Dylan the chance to be our fourth option because he would be, I think, a really great fourth option and I think could embrace that. Um, and he's shown statistically the ability to maybe lift um, what he can do. And, I mean, it's it's not hard to be the third option next to Jaron and Ja because they're transcendent talents. If we're able to somehow pull off a third option that clearly shows that they are the long-term, maybe 
uh, growth trajectory, um, higher uh, player uh, potential than Dylan, I sort of think that he'll take a back seat potentially with some good uh, coaching, which I believe that we have a good fit with Taylor Jenkins to do that. Yeah, if, to your point, I agree with you there. If he's able to kind of take that back seat, maybe play a different role than what he's playing now, I completely agree. I think he could be a long-term fit for sure. Um, so I guess we agree more than we disagree. How about that? Let me ask a quick question, uh, just to maybe some, uh, just to just to delineate uh, the arguments a little bit, counselors. Um, if the Grizzlies were to land the number one pick, let's pretend there there's nothing that happens. Maybe Iggy gets traded, uh, but nothing else with the roster changes. So let's assume the same roster at the end of the year. And Wiseman and Anthony Edwards are the two top players coming out um, of college. Do you take Anthony Edwards or do you take James Wiseman? And I think um, just to add a little bit more to this question, do you feel good enough about Dylan that you take Wiseman and basically have your front court of the future for however long? Or is your confidence in Dylan uh, low that you low enough that you would have that you would basically take Anthony Edwards above a James Wiseman. At this stage in the game, it's really hard for me to answer this question uh, honestly. Since Wiseman, we only have a little bit of his uh, high school highlights to look at. Um, I really want to see him in college action. I think his over the past couple of years, the talent that has not played in college ball more so than not those players have not busted but they haven't had the immediate impact um and so you know that makes me lean towards edwards look do i think that dylan brooks is anthony edwards uh talent trajectory potential absolutely not there's no question now does that mean that if we get the first pick that I would take Edwards over Wiseman, regardless of what happens with Dylan. I don't know. I, sometimes I, I believe in the philosophy to just go talent by talent, and and I, I think that Wiseman has maybe a higher ceiling than Edwards does. Um, and I it, it, I would lean towards just taking Wiseman. I get that point. So when you ask the question, I immediately started thinking about fit, and I know you're. I guess the argument would be whether to draft on fit or talent. I guess people think differently there. But if you look at Jenkins and the system he came from in Milwaukee, they are essentially five out, right? Spread floor, people with the ball not only have the ability to score, but play make. I think that's kind of the biggest disconnect with Dylan is he, I, maybe he's better at it than I think he is, but I just feel like he's not a playmaker. Yes, he can catch and shoot from three, and that's awesome. That's like a skill that everyone wants and we need desperately for sure. But if you compare those two draft guys, I would take Edwards for sure because the dude can break someone down from the perimeter, get in the paint, and make a play. I don't know if Wiseman can do the same, and I haven't seen enough that he shows that he can do that. Maybe he can. Um, I know he has a really good shot. He's huge. Um, but I feel like in the system that we want to run and we want to play, it's playmakers, right? Getting people open looks, but also driving, kicking, taking people off the dribble. And we're really good at it right now for the most part. Um, 
so I would, yeah, I would take Edwards just because if, if you look at our trajectory of where we want to be, if you look at the Bucks, for instance, um, Giannis has the ball primarily, but the, the perfect idea, I feel like, is that everyone can play make, um, can make a play. Because if you look at Grizz in the past, we've had one guy in the last decade that can make a play, and it's Mike, and we drove him into the ground because he looks awful in Utah right now. <laughs> um, but so, okay, let me let me say this though, but just for just for fun, like if we somehow end up with Edwards, I would feel super confident with Brooks coming off the bench totally. as your sixth or seventh person. Totally, me and too. And yeah. closing a game, guarding a second or third best player. Same. And so I think that's where I, you know, I'm looking at him coming up with you know a contract on negotiation, entering him as maybe a potential trade in. Um, to a contender this year and i think it's a really it's it's something that's really difficult i wish we sort of knew what his number for sure uh, could be um if he could come you know on a, a four five year um type deal where he's getting only like four to five million that seems maybe a relatively low based on what he's averaging right now i would take it all day yeah but if he's trying to get up there into the nine to ten eleven million dollars a year perspective that's what if that's just what we know his camp is wanting, I would be willing just to, to trade him in um, uh, just because that seems too expensive. To right. Me. He, yeah. he has to be on the right number for us, I think. Right. So I guess the moral of the story of the first ever Bluff City Clause, we need to find a little bit more contentious uh, takes because we, 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 we talked ourselves right into a middle ground, which I think is probably a, a good thing when it comes to this Dylan Brooks topic. Um but, yeah, we're going to throw up a poll, and uh, you guys decide, is Dylan Brooks our long-term two-guard? We'll just leave that question at that. Um, so our next segment is going to be a Grizzlies history moment. Um, back in April, I started uh, an account called Grizzlies History at Grizzstory, if you want to follow it. Um, and basically, I'll give a, on this day in X year, this happened in Grizzlies history. Um, simple as that. And so... Um, I'll, I'll be giving sort of a Grizzlies history. It, it doesn't necessarily apply to the day that we record, but it could just be something interesting um, for the listeners. Um, and so one thing that I came across very recently, which I thought was, was, was super interesting, is uh, on December 13th, um, throughout Grizzlies history, um, a lot of good stuff happened. Um, this date, which ironically was on Friday the 13th this year, um, seemed to be a really lucky day for the Grizzlies. And so what I'm going to do real quick is go through um, some years back in history and tell you what happened on December 13th. So in 1996, our first season was 95-96 in Vancouver. Um, on December 13th, 1996, we beat Orlando 95-93. Now that 96 team won 14 games, so every win was a big deal. Um, but it was more the players that tended to have a great game or that had a great game in this specific matchup. Bryant Big Country Reeves had 27 points and 8 rebounds, and Sharif Abdur-Rahim had 21 points and 11 rebounds. So that's a pretty uh, good look into who our studs were throughout those early Vancouver years. Now you fast forward to 2002. On December 13, 2002, we beat Houston 114-109 to in overtime. Pau Gasol had 29 points and 12 rebounds, and Jason Williams had 25 points and 12 assists. That's a pretty good look into who our studs were back in those years as well. The next year, 2003, December 13th, 
we beat the New Jersey Nets 110 to 63. That it ranks in the top three of Grizzlies blowouts, which we don't see very often, so we need to celebrate that when we see it. Bonzi Wells had 22 points off the bench. Stromile Swift had 18 points and seven rebounds, and Mike Miller had 18 points and seven assists. Pretty good look at who our role players were back in those uh, days where we were first making the playoffs as an organization. Fast forward six years, 2009. We beat the Miami Heat on December 13th, 118-90. to 90. Rudy Gay had 41 points, his career high. Blessing. One more year. And, sorry, a few more years, but the next year, 2010, we beat the Blazers 86-73. to 73. How about that score? Uh, Zach Randolph had 25 points and 20 rebounds. Eight of those were offensive rebounds. 2010 really was the year when the team transitioned from being Rudy's team to Zebo's team. Um, a couple more years, 2014 for you, December 13th, we beat the 76ers 120 to 115 in overtime. This is actually the game that I tweeted out on that date. Mike Conley, 36 points, 9 assists. Marcus All, 18 points, 9 rebounds. And Zebo, 24 points and 11 rebounds. And then just a couple nights ago, December 13th, 2019, we lost to the Bucks, 127-114, but Jaron Jackson Jr., 43 points. Pretty interesting how December 13th seems to be a lucky date for the Grizzlies in history. With that, we're going to move on to our next segment, which I think will be pretty exciting for everyone at this table. It's called TMI, which stands for Trade Machine Ingenuity. Trades! So tomorrow, TMI, th- baby. at the NBA's Open of Business... Every uh, player who was signed as a free agent this past summer will be, will be available to be traded on the market. So that's why it's sort of the opening day of trade season, whereas in February you have the trade deadline. So you have a few months here um, to make some deals. And why this is important for the Grizzlies is they are actively shopping Andre Iguodala instead of buying him out. And a lot more players just became available for trades so, with that said, guys, let's talk trading. Oh, man, I'm so excited. So, I guess the way that I sort of organized my thoughts on this, because it was, it was really fun to just sit back on a sort of rainy, lazy Saturday and kind of confirm these trades. Options, I think, for the Grizzlies was sort of in the what seems most realistic bucket and I think that sort of matches uh, what we've sort of heard uh, kind of in the rumor mill and you know who you're sort of listening to in podcasts and that kind of thing and um, versus the what seems unlikely where there's maybe some options and there's a def- there's obviously a lot that then got kind of ruled out and the final one which is I have a real s- strong sleeper contender that may surprise some people and so I think the first team that maybe we could talk through uh, that seems like an option, and, and you guys tell me if you have uh, a scenario that, that matches. This team is with the Mavs, so there's, there's been a strong rumor, um, you know, kind of circulating the Mavericks are interested in Igui and Iguodala. They want the Mavs want to um, make a strong push for the playoffs. I think with Doncic's um, performance this year, um, you know, regardless of the injury that he sort of suffered yesterday, I think that that's something that they want to do, and he would be a strong wing player on their team. And so. Uh, 
if you know me, you know that I despise Courtney Lee. <laughs> <laughs> the years that Courtney Lee were on the Grizzlies, uh, uh, non-statistically significant, I cannot prove how much I disdained his game. So if we have to take him back, which, by the way, if we do, um, <laughs> I, I think that that's one of the salaries that would have to be thrown in there. For uh, sure. That's what I had. $17 million. Um uh, maybe this is an emotional um, thing with me, but I feel like we need more than just that uh, second-round Golden State pick that they have um, that's sort of been thrown in there as the kicker that's sort of like the – yeah, it's basically a first-round pick towards the late of the end of the draft um, this year or beginning of second round into first round this year. And so um, the salary that I would love to see thrown in there that makes sense is uh, Josh Jackson. Uh, right at 3.2. I think he has some upside. As Wait, little... Justin or yeah, Josh? Sorry, excuse me. Justin Jackson. Yep. Yep, thank you. Former North Carolina player. That's listed as Jay Jackson in my screenshot. So <laughs> we, we already have Josh. Yeah, thanks. We have Josh. He's doing great. Do we have him, though? Yeah, I'm not really sure. <laughs> Good point. Uh, he's not really playing a lot for the Mavs. Um, I don't really – I could see them maybe throwing him in there. For sure. He's got a, He's an interesting prospect to me. I loved his game. Um, he's got some good length to him. Yep. He can shoot the ball well. I think he would be a better version of Grayson Allen. I like that. I can see it. Um, so, yeah, I had this exact same trade. Um, Courtney Lee, he had a great buzzer beater, by the way. Oh, yeah, I was there. With, with it, When the – I guess Jaeger was the coach. Yeah. He had some out of bounds where he caught it like under one Vince side Carter of the glass. Vince Carter It was the most boring game it was of terrible. all time before it was that terrible. moment. And he has great hair. Some of the best hair yeah. in the entire league. No, he doesn't. Love Sealy. Um, but, yeah, I got Justin Jackson thrown in there, too. Uh, maybe a second if we can get one from him, but I doubt we can. Uh, if we're getting Justin Jackson. Yeah, he's 6'7", 220, he's 24, turns 25 in March. Uh, First-round pick, 15th overall. So, if you look at his stats, regular season this year, he's shooting 37.7. So, let's just say 38% from three, six points a game. Yeah, he's not playing a ton, 14 minutes. In his career, he's 34% from three, like seven points a game. Again, 20 minutes a game. Again, not a ton. Um, but, yeah, he's young. He's long. Uh, pretty good defender. Decent shooter. I think he'd fit for sure. I mean, we're getting – people are trying to say, like, what are we going to get for Iggy? I mean, if we get Courtney Lee's expiring um, and we get some form of a 24-year-old prospect in Justin Jackson, I'm all for it. That means you turned, you know, cap space – into a first rounder in yep. Justin Jackson. Exactly. exactly. Yep. I'm all for it. Yep. All right. What what else do y'all have in the uh sort of reasonable category? Um so reasonable I have with Miami. Uh so the one I have with Miami is Iggy for another former Grizz neck tattoo night. Yep. James Johnson. Do either of y'all actually have the fake neck tattoo? No, I, wish. I wish. I wasn't at the game. I was at the uh, his off-the-backboard assist to yes. himself dunk. We played the against the Spurs one night, too, where he like stole a hat, stole it from half court from Ginobili and hit some like running yeah. pull-up three to like send it to OT or something. It was phenomenal. Um, but, of course, we let him go. He could have really helped us. Um, but, yeah, I have him, James Johnson. So, if you look at – Miami actually has some really good young players that I honestly don't think they're going to give up. Like, Winslow already has that decent contract, so he's he's off the board. Um, Duncan Robinson, young guy, really good three-point shooter. I'm pretty sure he's starting for them right now. 
Yeah, he's um, been playing so really well. Highly doubt that are giving him up. Tyler Hero, we've already talked about. If we had to redraft, he'd probably go top five. They're not giving him up either. Um, so a guy kind of landed on was this. Uh, let's see, KZ Akpala, mm-hmm. um, super young dude, not getting any run right now. Um, but I did look at the Ringers NBA draft board. I'm pretty sure KOC had him first round for sure. Um, and then another thing I saw potentially is throwing in. Uh, Derry Jones Jr., um, not a shooter, but the dude's in like an athletic specimen. Uh, 6'6", 210. He's only 22, um, third season, so he came out of UNLV pretty early. Um, again, not a whole lot to show for. He gets run with the heat, but he's, you know, he's not putting up crazy stats. Um, he's just kind of like a rim-running, cutting, small forward. Um, but again, another young 22-year-old prospect. So if we're kind of looking at basically just trading again that, uh, salary for prospects. I think that could work. Yeah, I think at the Heat, uh, I, I agree. This is him, kind of the likely um, to happen scenario. I think that if we do it with them, I just would prefer a future first. Yeah, to me sort too. Of maybe instead of a prospect, uh, I just sort of I'm assuming that they're not going to give up any of their decent talent. I think that it's going to have to be maybe distant future. First round, just based on yep. um, kind of the back-to-back round one picks um, that you evidently have to maintain um, as a franchise. And so it looks like that maybe the first year they'll be eligible will be like 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that there's, there is a potential for that to have a lot of value maybe. So that could be a, a real long-term play where you just flip Iggy – um, into another expiring contract with a, a real distant future first round that could turn into something just depending on what the Heat are doing, you know, kind yeah. of as, as Butler and those um, prospects are coming up. So that would be my preference there. So, yeah, we've got Dallas trade, Miami trade, both sort of those on those, those fringe contenders that he could uh, put over the edge, um, someone like Iguodala at least. Um, the, the, the trade I have, which is in the uh, could-happen trade, um, is with a, a top team right now in the Clippers. Um, they have a pretty um, a pretty obvious contract to throw in there, Mo Harkless, and they also gave up basically their whole future for Paul George, and so there aren't a ton of picks to give. Therefore, they might go the, the young prospect route in Jerome Robinson, um, who is the like number 13 pick in the 2018 draft. Um, shooting guard. Um, pretty good size. Um, obviously, doesn't play a whole lot um, with how stacked the Clippers are. Um, the Iguodala trade could just be adding a third awesome defender to their core. Um, that would be really scary if Iguodala was on the Clippers, and I could see them um, competing for the championship this year. So that would be my um, could expect to happen par- fairly uh, likely trade. Yeah, that sort of feels like the Clippers playing defense in trade, which yep. I sort of agree with you. If I'm the Clippers, I don't want the Lakers to figure out a scenario to get Iggy. I don't think that I want either of my of Kawhi or Paul George going up against um, Iggy in kind of like that semifinal Western Conference um, playoff series. And so I looked at um, that L.A. trade as well, and I sort of think that – in this scenario, there's a potential the Grizzlies would have to give up another young prospect to sort of make the salaries work. Um, I also had Jerome Robinson. I sort of preferred the potential to get Zubach in there instead. Yeah, I like it. They're not really using him a whole lot. He's on a pretty decent 
um, contract right now, four years around six and a half to seven million a year. Um, if you think about maybe the you know in the next year or two where the Grizzlies could deal JV maybe um, uh, Valanciunas um, to to not abbreviate uh, to another team who's going to contend and need a banging sender in there. Um, Zubac could maybe give you that muscle to help out with Jaron in DC. And then just to make the salaries work, I put in Magruder um, as well. That's I really, like him. That's really depleting the Clippers' um, young um, assets. But why? if you're the Clippers, you don't care. You're no. just protecting um, against the other team, um, LA um, or um, the Nuggets um, or the Jazz, um, getting – Iggy, and um, you're you're willing to give up those young assets. So JV and Zubats could be the new age Marcus Alcosta Kufis, is what <laughs> yeah, you're saying. Yeah, Definitely love it. Yeah, hundred percent. As long as they're the backups to Jaron and Brandon Clark, I'm all in on that scenario. <laughs> so before we get to our sort of mid middle, like could happen maybe, but also it's a little ridiculous. Do you have any more that are like I could totally see this happening? Um, start tomorrow. I can see the Denver thing happening. Um, I feel like, I mean, obviously they were really good last year. Everyone was super high on Denver. They've kind of had a little bit slower start, even though they're still they're still pretty good. Um, the thing is, is who they would give up. Yes, um, I had trouble with this. Yeah, that's the only thing. So if you, I mean, Iggy might start from them right out of the gate. So who's their starter at the two? It's Will Barton. Will Barton's much younger, uh, making much less money, and he's also on a four-year deal. Um, but if you look at the contracts, it's either him or Plumley. Plumley actually plays a huge role for them too. Um, so you're kind of limited there. So they would have to do Iggy for Barton, and then ideally, obviously for the Grizz, you would want to throw in Beasley. Um, Hernan Gomez would be kind of fun too. Uh, so question for y'all though: If you look at so Denver's like, yeah, we'll take Iggy, and we want something else for let's say Barton and Beasley and or Hernan Gomez. So would y'all throw in some form of a pick, like a second-round pick, or what young player would you look to give up alongside Iggy? Or is there one? Or would y'all just say, like, nah, I'm good? Uh, assuming – I think that I would look to, to deal uh, Grayson um, or Dylan in that yeah. scenario. Yeah. I think, I think uh, Dylan maybe could really help them off the bench um, as another scorer. And uh, as we just discussed – so I think that could potentially be an option. Yeah, I would agree. It's got to be Dillner. Yeah, but yeah, Grayson. Denver's pretty pretty limited to the options there. It probably won't yeah. happen. It seems like that's unlikely to happen. Yeah. So the other one that I just looked at for a straight pick scenario, I guess you would say, is the Blazers. And so in a scenario where uh, they, um, you know, are able to maybe start to climb back into contention, think that they need to go all in, maybe get active and get Kevin Love and want to add another uh, defensive wing um, to uh, their rotation, they might be willing just to swap Baysmore for Iggy and throw in a first-round pick. Yeah, because I was going to say, how could – if they do Kevin Love, could they also do Iggy? But if you do the white side for Kevin Love, done deal, right? You got that. Maybe what are you going to benefit them with? Talking about Cleveland, like you got to throw them some form of an asset – so would you throw them the first-round pick? Because they're probably not going to give up two. Um, and they're not going to give up Simons because they're obsessed with that dude. Yeah. Um, so then if you go Baysmore, 
or Iggy, would you be content taking like two second rounders instead of the first? If they do both, they may not do both. Kevin Love's kind of probably going to be a hard get because the contract, and he's on it for he has like three or four more years. Like it just kicked in, so he's got a he's got a hefty contract left, whereas Iggy expires. But. And it certainly that that one certainly seems like it's drifting into unlikely to happen scenario, um, just depending on the domino pieces. Um, the other one I'll just throw out there is our, our struggling, maybe Western favorite counterparts, just because of the fact that they took Conley from us, is the Jazz. Um, I was really trying to figure out a scenario where they might want Iggy. And, um, you know, just looking on the team for, for them, like they, they have a pretty good um, diversification of salary, I, I guess you would say, between their like sixth and ninth positions. And so this one made it really tough just to, to figure out how they would take on Iggy's massive contract. So they would basically have to give up Exum, uh, who's not getting a, a ton of minutes for them and isn't really a primary um, player for and then throwing in someone like Ingles or Bogdanovich. Yeah. And so it that seems unlikely to me, but I don't know. I think if you're the Jazz, you've got to – so we would be giving up Iggy another low salary like Dylan right. um, or Grayson, which they wouldn't take him back, but like for DeAnthony Melton, somebody who's in that one and a one-and-a-half salary range, and we'd also get a first-round um, pick back. Yeah, they gave us two for Mike. So, I don't yeah, think again, gonna probably not going to happen. Yeah, so. that one's tough. Yeah, the Portland trade to me is is an interesting one because they do have a ton of picks whereby some of these other contenders have already given a bunch of them up um, in past trades. It'd be interesting to see what they – I could see Portland being in potentially like panic mode if somehow someone were to come in and give the Cavs like a godfather offer for Kevin Love. Yeah. And they say, screw you, Kevin. Like, we're going to take this for our future, even though he's obviously said that he wants to go to Portland. Right. Um, and I, I would, if I were a betting man, I would bet that he would be on Portland when it's all said and done. But they'll have, like, Hassan Whiteside sitting there if, it, if he's not dealt in a Kevin Love trade. And we have Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder um, just yeah. waiting in the wings. And that, that trade works. Um, if they were to give us uh, a pick, uh, like a first rounder there. And so, uh, and, and Whiteside also expires at the end of this year and would provide some depth. So the return of Whiteside, if, uh, Portland, <laughs> if Portland panics and they don't get Kevin Love, I do not see that necessarily happening, but I could see our front office capitalizing on their panic if that, if that were to occur. Yeah. And I definitely think the Iggy trades come in probably late in the process. I think if it comes quick, it's from like the clips who are just like, all right, we're doing this thing right now and we're not going to wait it out exactly. Yeah. Um, but if Portland does it, I could see it being, you know, definitely towards the deadline. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to think of other like random Eastern or Western teams that like Sacramento, if they're like, what are we doing? Like we have a chance. Cause it kind of is wide open, like even Phoenix. Um, but yeah, I couldn't really come up with much. You're ready for my sleeper. Can't wait. Let's go. So, we all know that the Lakers want Iggy. And this is one of those scenarios where I guess the percentage likelihood that this would happen is, we'll put it at 15%, maybe. But this is one of those things to me where it's like, this is more fun to think about the Grizzlies' future in this scenario. And so, 
Jared Dudley. Just kidding. Love him. <laughs> Grizzlies give up Andre Iguodala and Dylan Brooks. Get back in return Avery Bradley, who's having a horrific season. Uh, KCP, who is doing okay, but basically you're getting Iggy for the playoffs instead of KCP. For sure. And Kyle Kuzma. Kuz. Kuz is... And that's that's the reroute that's that the guy. Lakers last piece. So let me just let me just this is coming off a weekend where we saw Jaron Jackson go like seven for seven in the third quarter. Could you imagine a lineup where Jaws your point guard? Forget 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 about who's number two, but Jaron's playing three. Kuzma and BC rotate between four wow. and five. We would be long. Because Jaron can guard anyone at the three. BC probably could too. I'm just saying. So, like, that's a weird little lineup scenario. We wouldn't want to roll that out all the time. But if you can somehow figure out to get Kuzma yep. from Iggy, he's 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 on a great contract. He's, he's an three asset years, too. One point nine million this yep. year. I think it's like a little bit more than two next year. He's another young piece that you could flip somewhere else to For get sure. more picks or something back. Somebody else will want him. For sure. And Iggy locks up the Lakers' chance to really go all out and win this year, which if you're them, you have to. We've seen LeBron do stranger things, uh, playing LeBron playing in the front office role. Um, so to me, like when you say it, when you when you put Bradley, KCP, and Kuzma in one trade for a really old uh, small forward, it sounds crazy. But we've also seen LeBron do crazier things. So I know it's crazy. Yeah. Bradley's only in there for salary. Right. KCP is the holdup because he he's a, a starter. He has a clause yeah. in his contract that says he has to agree to trade. So right. That's why the he yeah. wouldn't do it either. Yeah, he wouldn't do it. But here's the other interesting factoid to this: Bradley and KCP both have player options next year, so they're basically expiring. So Bradley could agree to stay on. KCP, you'd be like, Could I'm be, sorry, dude. Right. You need to go. I don't like you. You're not going to play the rest of the year. LeBron does his thing, and they get Iggy. It make to me from a basketball standpoint in the playoffs. I'd rather have Iggy over KCP, which is sort of the like yeah. point of the trade. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. I had a hard time coming up with a Lakers deal, but that I don't think it that's can interesting. Happen. I don't because KCP is a starter for them. Um, decent contract. If you throw in Dylan, maybe they'll be like, oh, I don't know, maybe they could replace that. Yeah, Bradley's been rough. Kuzma, it's odd that they kept just him and gave up Ingram and Lonzo. I would probably rather have both of those than Kuzma. I'm just not a big Kuzma fan. They do couldn't guard me, I don't think. <laughs> he probably could guard me. <laughs> I mean, I've seen your moves. You're pretty good, so you're right. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't – it would be a stretch. So, what's like your – if you could get one guy slash asset back, is it – First rounder is that like what you absolutely want? I Matt think first rounder is at the very top of yeah. the list. Yeah, I don't yeah. like. I don't know. It'd have to be a pretty bad con. Like Minnesota is a trade that I could see them wanting to get off Jang, right? And getting a we could get a first rounder potentially out of that if right. they wanted Iggy. Yeah, they would to me have to start playing a lot better to justify that trade. Right, but they've lost like eight in a row or something. Right, that's yeah. an example of one where it's like. I don't care who the player is that we're getting back as long as we get the first. Taking on the contract, yeah. Right. And that could end up being Solo Hill. Yeah. He's been great. Yeah, that's true. All right, so what are your – this is not going to happen, but why not? 
throw it out there. Trade. Any I trades Malik for you? Beasley. Whatever yeah. it takes to get me Malik Beasley. <laughs> yeah. I'm all in for that dude. I don't know. I just like him. I feel like last he's not playing a ton this year, and I don't I don't know. I don't know why. But I just really like him. I love the idea of him, which yeah. is probably gonna be the downfall. Um, but a dude who can guard and shoot the three and kind of knows what he's doing, I'm all for that. Yeah, the one for me, and I actually threw this in the Slack probably a couple weeks ago, um, but just uh, the Magic front office has not been very strong um, in their in their transactions it's recently. And also, yeah, Bamba to me <laughs> no. is looking no. like... He could be uh, in the bus category, but he also could be in the category of just needs a new uh, the new home. Three and D of all time. Um, and we're struggling with our depth down low, um, so I could see potentially a package. Oh, and the other asset that we would be getting back in a trade with Orlando would be a shooting guard by the name of Evan Fournier. Oh wow, Grizz Killer. Grizz Killer Evan Fournier, he after this year still has two more years on a contract on his contract at seventeen million per. Um, Why would they do this trade? They wouldn't. That's the thing. It's, oh well, the reason we they would do this trade is because we would include Iggy and Jay Crowder. Oh, and Jay. Okay. And Jay, Iggy and Jay for Fournier and Bamba. They've been rumored to also be going after Demar Derozan if the Spurs decide mm. to uh, to sell him. Mm. Uh, but I, I, the only thing that I don't know and I haven't researched is whether Bamba or Fournier would have to be included in a DeRozan deal. Um, the first rounder is coming with DeRozan, though. You would think. You think that they're a first. Yeah, for DeRozan. That's true. But they um, have to have salary. But that's. Right. That, that, it's just. That I, I'm here with you on the fact that the Magic are dumb. Like, do they think that they're gonna do this in a way that makes them go past Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Boston. Nah. This still makes them, and Indiana is playing really well, and... Unless they're pressing the reset sorry, button entirely. Too. No, no, no. And they see Iguodala as an asset to trade to a contender yeah, yeah, again. Yeah. That's true. And flip him, and then just keep Crowder. And uh, it's that's my, like, okay, this is not going to happen. This is just trade machine playground fun. Yeah, I'm sorry. But, um, you, did, you did disclaim that. <laughs> I did, I did. You know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, to be honest, like, it, I, I just sort of limited myself on this discussion to the contention yes, that's, folks. That's the that's main it. reason the magic would be. Yeah, that's it. It's really hard to make a lot of these work because his salary is so large. I mean, it's just we're going to have to take back. You almost had to have a scenario where who's a contender who has a player that's shitty Right. It's not that's just sitting like Chandler Parsons. Like if the Hawks were like <laughs> contending for the Eastern Conference and we got Lulu your boy Chandler spoke. Ty's like, yes. I'll How never, much can we give yeah. them? I, loves Chandler Parsons. I don't I don't have high hopes. <laughs> oh man. Well that, that thirteen four and four season never never quite came to fruition. Still waiting. Do yeah, we, still waiting on it. With all those trades thrown out on the table, do we have one as like a consensus this is what we hope happens trade? Well, I think this is what you hope, and this is what's realistic. I think the Dallas thing is, like, legit a thing because that yeah. Courtney Lee never gets off the bench. Like, he is pointless for them. Uh, Justin Jackson, I don't think, is, like, a long-term play. I mean, they got him in the Harrison Barnes trade a few years ago as kind of, like, collateral. I don't really think he's, like, a, a key player in their long-term future. And if you look at their – I mean, Luca's 20 – 
Porzingis is super young too. They will have opportunities to gain six, seventh guys off the bench, which is what they view Justin Jackson as. They don't view him as a starter level player. So I could definitely see them being like, yeah, you want Justin Jackson? Awesome. Have at it. Give us Iggy. I could see it for sure. I hope the Mavs, and if you're if you're Cuban, I, the way that I, I, you know, I can't think like him um, or less I wouldn't be, you know, sitting in a podcast with no money. <laughs> uh, but you think you're basically trading an ass, you know, a future asset that maybe you're sort of lukewarm on to give your team a a wing player to help you go deep in a deep in a playoff series to give Doncic and Porzingis minutes together, which yeah. sets them up for a long for long term success. <clears throat> and if I'm an executive, I'm thinking that way, and I'm willing to do it. Strong I'm willing to maybe give away the thirty well. second pick because I've got cap space. And I'm about to enter the market next year to get that true second or third option to make a deep run. And that lets you maybe go up against a Lakers or Clippers and like really go to a game seven and see what Doncic can do. And like sign me up. That sounds incredible. Definitely. I can totally just picture him in the Mavericks uniform as well. I don't know why. Yeah. He just seems like he just fits. Does Dallas have their first round pick? It's a good question. No. So the, no, the they only, gave it the to only pick that I could make work. New York, is, right? They have a long. Uh, it's like a if the whole back-to-back first-round picks thing is a thing, which right? It seems like the trade machine said that it was because that's how I did my research. The only pick they could really throw in that the Grizzlies would want would be that Golden State second-round pick okay. this year, which is the 30, which is, is the great. first pick of the second round. Right. Right. All right, that was uh, TMI Trade Machine Ingenuity. Uh, We'll see. Something could happen tomorrow, guys, Um, and we'll be back discussing um, what has transpired and see how we did in our guesses. All right, so we'll now enter our final segment, Hammer Nail Coffin. Um, And what we're going to do here is just give thoughts on what's one or two things uh, that we want to see from the Grizzlies team organization. just any time in the future, um, preferably near future. Um, so hammer nail coffin, let's go. Um, I'll go first, and I have two things, but I'll just talk to my first my first one here. Um, you know, we talk Grizz next gen moving forward, and you know, there's it. It's a very exciting time to be a Grizzlies fan, which is awesome. I want to see BC Jaron and Ja get more minutes together. They've only played 50 minutes combined thus far through That's the season. Nuts. So we're quarter way, quarter of the way through, which is around, like, we'll just say it's four minutes per game where they're playing together. And I think this is a symptom of just sort of maybe substitution routine. Um, because honestly, like, just intuitively, BC and Jaron seem like a really strong fit together, just depending on the center that you're playing. Um Based on who they guard, they both can switch, um, and maybe maybe BC is the better banger versus Jaron, and it, it limits you to some foul trouble. But I really want to see what we've got between those three and see them get some minutes together and honestly just develop chemistry because when you look at that same, the uh, analytics guru would say, well, in the 50 minutes, they've actually been a minus 35. Okay, that is a Damn. terrible stat. And – 
I want that to improve and need their chemistry to improve. Because I, I sort of envision hoping that the, those three are kind of closing games in the next year and the year after that. For sure. So I want to say, you know, up to all-star break and afterwards, I need to see them on the floor more together. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Do you want to throw out your second one or you want me to go with my, my only one? Well, well, round robin. You go ahead, Ty. Okay. Uh, I may be the biggest slow-mo fan here for sure. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. His forehead is beautiful. Um, so not necessarily that he starts. Uh, so Jay Crowder was out last night, obviously going to be out again, I believe. Um, I just trust the dude big time. And I think like Harrington, one of his pods was basically like, there's no one that passes Jaron the ball more. That's true. One of my biggest pet peeves of current Grizzlies is when I guess Jenkins is like, Hey, Jaron, first thing you should do down is try to go get position down low. And unless it's Kyle Anderson with the ball, he never gets an entrance pass ever. And like he has position and that's honestly, sometimes like the offensive fouls, that's like one or two fouls a game where he's trying to get position and he'll like either throw an elbow a little bit high. I don't know if you get him the ball sooner, maybe he limits those offensive fouls and also gets kind of him going a little bit. But yeah, I think slow mo can guard somehow pretty much everybody on the floor and trust him with the ball. I think he's great on the break. Like when I get a rebound, that'd be one of the first guys I look to give the ball to. Um, I just feel like more slow mo, just more. Yeah, Play he's almost more. maybe a better fit in the starting lineup. Maybe Crowder so. Maybe coming off the bench and playing with kind of like that younger core because Crowder yep. has a bit of a, a better uh, scoring option. And I think that you know the, I'm I'm with you on the the whole not throwing it to to Jaron Jackson when he's deep in the post on the block. I think that if I could quantify the number of times that. Valanchunas has caught the ball. He like pump fakes and he doesn't throw it. Pumps fakes and doesn't throw it to Jaron. And I've screamed at not letting him get that little lefty hook um, assist from JV. It it drives me nuts. Yeah. My, uh, my thought would be for what I want to see moving forward is I want to see Marco and Grayson um, play a lot better than they have, have been both for uh, the Grizzlies sake, but also, uh, their value um, on the trade market's sake as well. Um, DB has definitely carved out um, the starting role. Um, and because preseason, we were having the discussion, who do you want starting at the two? And yeah. Grayson Allen was a legitimate option definitely. there. Um, he's obviously had an injury or two that that's kept him out. But uh, And Marcos played a bunch. Um I'm kind of a Marco stand still. Um, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that needs to be the next Bluff City Claw there uh, if it keeps going in this direction. But, yeah, our our two our, our position at the two is definitely our weakest. Um, but I'd like to see a little bit more from the, those guys off the bench, a lot more aggressiveness. Um, I don't want to see Marco pump fake anymore. Um, I want to see him shoot the ball. I want to see Grayson shoot the ball, be aggressive. So, yeah, that's what I'm going to be looking for in the next few games. So, note on that, completely agree with you. Our backup two is is a struggle. But I feel like Melton's playing a lot more too. Yep. Which scoring, I feel like he's got a decent little mid-range jumper. Um, kind of can play make a little bit. But anyway, so if you look at Grayson's last few games, starting back 
uh, against Minnesota December the 1st. Um, he's played 30 minutes, 27 minutes, 25 minutes, 25 minutes, and got hurt at Golden State, so he played 12. Uh, points per game in that, 13 against Minnesota, 6 against Indiana, kind of struggled. Um, and then 12, 13, and 15. Three-point percentage, he shot basically above 33% every game, 50% against Minnesota, 67 against Chicago, 33 in Utah, and then 75 against Golden State. When he, he played 12 minutes, had 15 points against Golden State. Um, I feel like he plays a lot when he's healthy. Jenkins likes him. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like he's been getting way more comfortable. He's way more active on defense, like I was mentioning before the pod started. I don't remember what game it was, but the dude was like facing up at every chance he had and contesting like every pass. I feel like it was in the Minnesota game against Wiggins. Um, Wiggins had like 30, You're of about course. Mel- Melton? No, I'm talking about Grayson. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, cool. Um, Sorry, I, could, I wasn't sure who you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, so Grayson in this segment. I love Melton, though. Um, but, yeah, like he's been coming along. Like the three-point shot, his standstill shot's pretty good. Percentage is pretty good. Um, it looks good. Mm-hmm. He's way more athletic than you think he is. And I feel like Jenkins is kind of giving him confidence to be like, hey, like go, go do your thing, play hard. Um, I feel like he could be – yeah, I was going to mention this earlier. I think he could be like a long-term bench player for sure. Um, so if you look at Guterich coming into the season, his big thing was like, oh, the guy can shoot, the guy can shoot. He couldn't hit anything like the first few games. Then he went on like a little heater stretch where it felt like he hit everything. And that lasted probably three or four games. And then ever since then, he just, A, he doesn't shoot. And then it felt like he just, his confidence is gone. Like you were saying, those pump fakes, he just keeps doing it. Like, let it go. Shoot the ball. Um, I think he just had jet lag at the beginning of the season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. He misses. Language, yeah. Barriers yeah, 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 yeah. He misses fam. I, I get it. I, like, the idea of Goodrich to me is awesome. Yeah. And I'm really in on that. So is Grayson, though. Yeah. And there, something, there's, there's, I'm really polarized, to be honest, on like, um, just the gut test of those two guys. For some reason, Goodrich patches the gut test to me and Grayson doesn't. I'm not really sure. Um, but I agree. I, I think that we need to figure out what we have in either of them. For sure. I sort of uh, think that we know already. I think that the that the staff knows. Um, so. So what do you think that is then? That uh, Grayson is not a future prospect. And, really. And um, Goodrich is. Yeah. I would say the opposite. Yeah, I think that Goodrich has. Um, you can just. I don't know. I, this is non-statistically based. He just feels like he finishes at the rim better. Um, and right now what he's lacking is just kind of like a confidence perspective. But but when he shoots shots in rhythm, particularly from the corner, um, uh, we need to validate this and fact check myself. But it just my feeling is that he shoots better catch and shoot from the corner, which is a, you know, a potentially good option for the Grizz moving forward. We talked a lot about DeAnthony Melton, so that was my other – um, point is that bro needs to keep getting minutes um, and if you look at the past five um, games he's gone 23 20 23 19 20 22 minutes um, he's gone nine point or four points nine points nine point six point seven points uh, five assists eight assists three assists three assists four assists he's just one of those guys um now, interestingly, I was watching him over the past over this weekend, and I was like, "Man, how tall is he?" 
I looked him up. He's, he's long. He's only six two, but dude he's has so a long. six nine wingspan. <laughs> okay, so there is something to him feeling longer or bigger than he really For is. Sure. And I think that you know there is um, a couple. Uh, there, it was a long um, uh, stint of the game, at least last night, where he was playing um, with Jaw in the game, and it allowed he was playing off the ball, kind of in that role that I think we always hoped that Conley could play in. And I think that they were sort of switching back and forth. And I just feel like he's just a really good fit um, with our talent guys. He has a really good-looking mid-range shot. Um, I don't think he's, like, jumping off um, the screen from an athletic perspective. But I really like him. I would prefer him get minutes over Grayson, even though they're sort of different positions. Um, That's just sort of my, my gut. I could see it. I could also see them playing together a little bit. I kind of like Grayson. I don't know why. I kind of like him. The last like four or five games, he's just been he's been pretty good. But I do love Melton. He's so long. Yeah, one There's of the zero. things love it. One of the things that I always want to guard against is uh, I feel like we can sometimes have our Grizz goggles, where we're so used we're so used to having we're so used to having um, guys that are like underperformer. We're so used to having uh, just guys that haven't been great, and then they play well. Maybe we see a flash, and then we we automatically assume that that's what they could be it's the Jeff for Green. a long term. Yeah, it's the Jeff Green. Um, we even had like a there was a Ben McLemore game at yeah. one point early on Wayne in the season. Ellington game, the Wayne Ellington the game, Troy Daniels. Yeah, where it's like that's what, the Troy Daniels on. is the best example. Yeah, we he had like think, 34 and like yeah. it was nuts. We have our goggles on and we only see that and it replays in our head and totally. we're like this can this is what they can be instead totally. of seeing it from an, maybe an objective perspective. So I think that with those two guys specifically, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see when we take the goggles off uh, at the end of the season where they really stand and uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, the mystery man is is Josh Jackson. Who? Just kidding, <laughs> Justin, Josh, what, Jay Jackson, In the Mavericks pick. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we have a there's a lot of Grizz Nation is uh, calling for Jackson to be called up. Um, I, I see him play. I think it could be interesting to see him play. I trust the team and their decision. So on when's that. it coming? Take minutes from. Ooh, another good question. Uh, Jay Crowder. After we trade him, for yeah. sure. Yeah, especially after we trade. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, just he could play in that combo two or three spot um, instead of Guterich he could or, play the or four. Yeah, he could. Um, but that's 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 one of the, the things that people are talking about in Grizz Nation. So. I want to see it. We'll monitor really that. We'll monitor everything else we just talked about. Um, guys, this was a lot of fun. The first ever Grizz Den pod. Um, we probably went a little bit longer than we were uh, intending to, but we just had a lot to talk about. Um, we'll be back at a date to be determined. Um, but in the meantime, thanks for listening, and uh, I'll get you that uh, Twitter handle as soon as we create it right after this is done. So for Ty and Brantley, I'm Will. Thanks for joining the Grizzden Pod. And welcome to the future. The Twitter has been created. Follow us at Grizzden, at G-R-I-Z-Z-D-E-N, to find this episode and all future episodes and announcements. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>